Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to the Managing Mood Podcast. This is your host, Kiyad Subani, joined on Mother's Day with the beloved tactical guru of Managing Madrid, Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I don't know, I don't know about beloved tactical guru, but I'm doing well. Um, and as I was saying to you off air, I'm a, I'm a happy man now that Barcelona have lost today. So that unbeaten streak is finally done. We, we can... Uh, we don't have to worry about any of uh, the culés talking that up anymore. I'm excited to chat with Diego tomorrow to see um, just what his mental state is and kind of poke him a little bit. Yeah. But uh, they, I mean, in a vacuum, they have they really should not be disappointed because they've had a terrific season. Did you watch the game today? Uh, yeah. So I watched most of it. Um, I had a stream, so it, like cut out kind of towards the end of the second half. So then I just started refreshing mark uh the last 10 minutes of the game just to make sure because they came back and i was like oh my god i swear to god if levante screwed this up but uh they they pulled it off right <laughs> they managed to keep it together and win by one goal lead even though i think they were up five or four one at one point so uh, yeah it was it was a little nerve-wracking they um so i i totally turned my brain off today did a bunch of mother's day stuff it was my wife's first mother's day ever uh and uh i guess on my peripherals just like in the back of my head i had there was a few games i thought about like just checking in checking in with and i actually didn't in the end until i got home but one was the liverpool game and the chelsea game which because there was a slim chance chelsea sneak into the champions league they blew it against newcastle um then there was the NBA game, which the Celtics blew away the Cavs, and then there was this one where I didn't, I really didn't think that there would be any chance that Levante could pull anything off here, even though Messi wasn't there. Although, that, I mean, that is a question in itself: Why wasn't Messi there? What is he? What are they saving him for? It's yeah, I have over. no idea. Yeah, um, but I didn't, I didn't watch it. So, but then I went back, Matt, and I checked some of the stats. Pretty messy or messy or not, the team is stacked still. Everyone else was there. Um, Levante just blew Barca out in terms of the expected goals. Was how does the eye test match that? Like, was it really just a one-sided performance? Um, yeah, I mean, it was weird. It was it was kind of phases. It was like that in phases, and Levante was just they were getting through that Barca defense no problem. Um, <laughs> And even PK had to come in for an injured Vermalen, and they just continually sliced through them. Boateng just was on his was on form. He scored a hat trick. Um, I mean, I think 
I saw a tweet. I think the major- he scored like six goals this season, and five of them came against Real Madrid and Barcelona. Huh. <laughs> that's that's uh, phenomenal. Uh, Paco Lopez has done a tremendous job there. I mean, I didn't watch the game. I think the score speaks for itself, and you explained I, it. Yeah, I think he. Uh, I also saw another informative tweet that uh, he's. I don't know that I, I don't know if this is accurate or if I'm saying it correctly, but he has the best. Um, he's taken the most points in, out of the last ten rounds, I think it is, of La Liga than any other manager. Yeah, it's incredible. Five four yeah. over Barca today. They beat Leganes 3-0 before that. Before that, they beat Sevilla 2-1. Before that, they beat Bilbao away from home 3-1. Before that, before that they beat Malaga 1-0. Uh, their only loss during this whole span came against Atleti at the Wanda. Then they beat Las, Pal- Las Palmas. Uh, Eibar, they beat they beat Getafe, who have been excellent this season. So they And then, basically, so Paco Lopez was just, has just been phenomenal. Like, any glimmer yeah. of hope that possibly Seydorf had in reviving Depor, like, you're just not going to, you're not going to overtake Levante based on those results. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, elsewhere, on <laughs> Saturday, Real Madrid s- destroyed Celta. And uh, none of these games to end the season are really games that I'm going to spend a whole lot of time taking notes on. I, I do... I do take notes because, it, it, you know, there's a lot of things that are interesting to me. A few wrinkles, some of the younger players. Um, even though in this one, Salta was was resting or, or, you know, whatever word you want to use. They didn't play Aspas. Uh, they also didn't play Sisto. Emre Moore wasn't there. It was still shocking to me how badly they played. And in particular, Matt, the high line and the lack of coverage for Johnny where Bale and Ashraf feasted, um, they just, it was crazy to me how bad they were. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you have two of the fastest players in the probably the whole of the league. Ashraf is up there as well. And you play that high of a line, like, of course, Johnny, he's going to get, He's going to get killed, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and credit to Ashraf, I mean, Boye, did not want to track back at all. So he had free reign just to keep overlapping, keep overloading on the right side. Time and time again, he, he made those marauding attacking runs. And uh, he combined well with Modric and Cruz. He quick one-twos right past, the, right past Johnny, the fullback. And then his crosses are still, I think he's rushing, it, rushing the decision a little bit sometimes when he gets into that uh, kind of near the six-yard box even. He's still... I feel rushing his decision a bit, and that will come. That will come with time. But um, he did. He was able to get on the score sheet today, and I mean, I know a lot of people were encouraged with his performance. Um, I thought he played well. I was, I was, I was happy with his performance. I still think he struggled a little bit, at least in the first half, um, when Celta had a little bit more um, offensive play, especially with Boye. He's a pretty, uh, pretty technical and quick player. And uh, I thought at times Ashraf struggled a little bit 1v1. But besides that, he, it was a really good, encouraging performance. You mentioned Boye. Um, I felt bad for Johnny because he's a really good left back, one of the better ones in La Liga. Uh, I don't know what, top 5 to 10. And uh, promising promising career. Apart, I mean, Boye was the guy he was going to rely on in this game to help him. And Boye, you mentioned it. He was essentially in the final third the whole game. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
We're going to talk about Ashraf too. Obviously, he was a standout for reasons you mentioned, for reasons we'll mention also, because we're going to save them. There's a lot of questions about him, or at least a couple. And uh, the other one was Bale, which we'll talk about. And um, I th- it's it's one of those games where I thought, like, if you really wanted to, you could probably go down the list and say something good about every player in this game. Because no one, no one was like, there's no one you're going to slander in a game like this. Everyone played well. There was a nice vibe to the game. There was a nice confidence to Real Madrid's build up and flow, and and Celta really didn't threaten much. Um, and Real Madrid just kept the ball, and I I mean, it, it, in a way, they outperformed their expected goals by like four, really at least. Um, but that's partly because they kept the ball a lot, and Bale and Isco's goal were ridiculous. Bale's second goal, Isco's. Very high degree of difficulty for both of them, and both of them were brilliant. And uh, and Celta just really didn't threaten. Like from minute one to ninety, it was just I didn't at no point did I feel they they were threatening. There was that moment in the first half where they had an appeal for a penalty. Um, that was maybe the most dangerous moment of, of the entire game from them, with a couple like very rare counterattacks sprinkled throughout that Real Madrid just generally dealt with. Um, but this was very comfortable, very routine. I thought I thought Kroos was great in the build up. Um, took his took his goal really well. Um, and um, I don't know. I'm gonna go back to Boya again. By the way, I mean Maxi Gomez was their main threat, but he just didn't get the ball enough. Boya was was almost playing higher than Maxi Gomez in this game, and he just was completely isolated. I it was bizarre to me. And then he came off in the second half, like right away, and I think it was at halftime. Um, it was just a strange game, but very comfortable and very routine. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I wonder if that Boye switch was a tactical tactical switch. I have a feeling it was. Um, but like you said, it, it was it was nice to have a match like this because we haven't had that many where the flow and the comfort that you talked about have been there. And we just, we, we really cruised and we looked, we looked really good. And I think what keeps these games interesting for us is obviously we have two weeks in t- until the UCL final. And, uh, I mean, there's still places up for grabs. And I, what I found particularly interesting was the 4-1, 4-1 formation uh, yeah. that we played today. and My favorite formation. Yeah, I, I loved it. I think it gets – it's I, ideally, I mean, if you want to fit Isco and Bale in and Ronaldo, you could. Um, ultimately, that may mean dropping Benzema, but – there's there's places up for grabs and I think this this fits everyone in and it still finds a way to fit Casemiro in as well or be it Kovacic whoever it, it still finds a way to have a three man midfield um, and not kind of we when we play the four four two my only worry is uh, we leave space in between the lines the midfield and the defensive line and um, it's too easy to play in between that space against us so. Um, with this formation, I, I feel much more comfortable. I like it. We played really well, um, and it fits our personnel. This, the four four one one and the four two three one. Those three formations are the ones that have provided us with the most control of the ball, the ability to defend with the ball by just knocking it around comfortably with a lot of outlets. Um, the best means of defending the half spaces and having coverage on the flanks. 
this this allows you to do that because it allows you to pack the midfield and allows you to have a bunch of two-way players in it. It was interesting because a lot of people were upset. I don't know if upset is the right word, but but certainly discouraged or whatever. Um, myself included when I saw the, the that yeah, on paper it looked like a four-four-two with Bale as a center forward. Yep. As it unfolded, we quickly realized no, Bale's actually on the right and he's playing quite deep, um, which is which is ideally where you want him. And then like right on cue, he just kind of proves like why he he needs to play in that position. Yeah, no, it was, I, I thought the exact same thing when I saw it. I was like, ah, oh, are we playing a diamond? And I was like, and, I, and then I started thinking to myself, is it Don really going to persist with this diamond? Is this really kind of like a preemptive to the UCL final? Are we really going to go in with the diamond? So um, I was worried about that. But then once play started to unfold, we saw Bale on one week, Isco on the other. Um, and Isco still having enough freedom to kind of combine and connect with his teammates um, and so it it looked really good, and obviously both played exceptionally well. Bale with two, two the second absolute ridiculous. Yeah, the goal. second one was better than the first one, but they were yeah. both great. Yeah, yeah, and they, I mean, the second one especially, but they both just personify and exemplify everything that Bale can do and bring to this team. It's just all his tools were in that, um, in that second goal, and it was it was incredible and. I mean that's what confidence does for you. It's it's just he's he's got it seems like he's got a chip on his shoulder now and he wants to he's doing everything possible to try and make himself a starter um for that Champions League final but I mean Isco likewise answered the call and <laughs> scored an absolute golazo and uh had an assist and played really really well. So I mean it's it's as Don said it after the game he's going to have selection headaches but it's a good problem to have. Have you ever in your playing career, tried to score a goal like that where you cut in and you have an acute angle and you try to shoot at far post. Have you ever tried that? And have you ever succeeded? No and no. <laughs> I've tried it before. Um, I've actually, in you know, like in warm-ups and stuff and like pickups, you can do it. In an in-game setting, you think, you're, you think it's an easy goal, but it's really way way more difficult than you think it is um especially with the way the goalkeeper was positioned as well too yeah it because you really have to get it, it i mean both him and isco's goal like you can you can score that goal in fifa pretty easily it's yeah. the, the r2 in circle i don't know if you played fifa yeah yeah um but in real life to get that curl and get it to the far post without it kind of just going straight down the middle to the keeper or getting it really well off target. It's very difficult to do. Uh, and the degree of difficulty is is actually quite quite insane. Um, I mean, a lot had to go right for Bale for that to work. He had to, His first touch had to go through the legs of the defender, which that move can can either bounce off the defender's legs or or go right through him as it did. Um, and it's kind of, to me, it's 50-50 and, you know, it's, it's something that he obviously meant to do, but it's not that easy to do. And then to shoot from there, uh, the biggest thing for me, Matt, was when I was watching that play was he looked confident. Like that stuff, that whole sequence was just pure confidence from him because you're not pulling it off otherwise unless you really believe in what you're doing. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. And I mean, that's he, I don't think he would have had the balls to do that uh, earlier in the season. Like he's now... 
confident, he's fit, and he's he's got a point to prove, and he's uh, he's doing everything he can to make sure he's part of that squad, part Alpha, of that starting eleven. Alpha male bail. Alpha bail. He's yeah. here. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna t- because of the nature of the game. There's not a whole lot more to dissect. Um, and if there is, they'll probably be answered in the questions. So we're going to jump right into it. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. And before we kind of get into the questions, Matt, I have an exciting announcement. Daniel Smith, one of our patrons, has assigned an autographed Gareth Bale jersey that he wants to... He wanted to give it to one of us that I said, hey, man, let's just, let's give it to a patron. Um, that'd yeah. be really cool. So... We're going to run a contest. So if you listen to listening to this and you're a patron, all you have to do is we're going to put a post on patreon.com slash managermadrid. You go in and you comment on that post um, with a story about how you became a Madridista and you'll be automatically entered to win. And then we're going to do a random draw from those answers. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're not a patron, then if you want to enter, just join in and make and comment on the post so uh and and then once we we announce the winner daniel will actually ship it to, to him and or we'll figure out the logistics but um if you want to get in on that that's how you do it just look out for the post it'll go up later tonight first patron question is from sajid reyes he says bear with me matt here this is a bit long i'm going to try my best to kind of narrow it down sajid says it was recently echoed in a recent football segment that Arsene Wenger's greatest achievement was converting Thierry Henry from a winger into a world-class center forward. This led me thinking, why can't this be Gareth Bale? And this further leads me to the question, why are you guys so opposed to him playing as a striker? His attributes make him tailor-made for this role. He has pace, shooting, heading, etc. You guys keep saying that he should be playing as a two-way winger, um, I think this limits his potential and is detrimental to the team because one, in a deep position he thrives in only one situation, which is having loads of space to run into and either shoot or cross. Two, he is not comfortable with possession when playing against a low block and when we play with a slow build-up, especially with his back to goal. Um, he has a long stride and hence he is not the most nimble with his feet and if you have noticed, he always receives the ball with a sideways stance, has a relatively heavy touch and hence, he is not the most press-resistant player, something which is very important against Liverpool. Three, traditional wingers are obsolete with the evolution of attacking fullbacks, and hence why Zidane has played with Vasquez and Asensio when playing with a flat midfield four, as they are more comfortable moving on the inside and circulating possession, something Bale isn't comfortable doing, in my opinion. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, also, I would like to give a special shout-out to my Madridista friend, Chanuka, who was at the Bernabeu to witness the carnage. Hala uh, Shout out to Chanuka. Shout out to Sajid for the question. There's a lot here, Matt. Um, yeah. You, why, don't you, why don't I give you the, the easy task of spearheading this conversation? <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, a lot to unpack. But first off, starting with Thierry Henry. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe Thierry, uh, during his Monaco days, he was actually... It was kind of similar to... Uh, Mbappe. I mean, he started out as a striker, and then when he transferred to Juventus, that's when they started uh, pushing him out towards the wing. And um, when Arsenal signed him, they brought him back and played him as a striker, and that's where he thrived. But he was always a nat- he was always naturally a striker. Um, but moving on to Bale, I think. I mean, we've we've talked about this a lot, and 
it's almost the answer to your to your question is in your question itself. You say he he struggles with his back to goal. That's something. I mean, it's that's critical for a striker. You say his touch is too heavy and that he angles himself um, to this to, sideways. I mean, that's arguably his touch is too heavy. But even if he angled like uh, you and I have talked about this before, Kian. Xavi's interview, um, he talks about kind of being able – where you're comfortable with – on like certain players are comfortable in a certain space on the field and they understand the timing and the space and how everything works. And it just – and that's why Ronaldo kind of thrives more coming from the left wing rather than playing with his back to goal and playing in the middle. And um, it's the same for Bale. Like, he's just – that's where he's comfortable playing. That's where he thrives. He understands the timing. He understands the space. And he's he's lethal coming from that deeper position because he can drive through the midfield. He can drive through the defense. And, I mean, we've seen it. He's able to work both ways. He's just as good defensively. Um, I, I mean, maybe not just as good defensively as he is offensively, but he's more than capable of doing the defensive work and we saw it against Barcelona. There were times where he looked like he was playing in a back five as the right back and guarding Jordi Alba. I mean, the guy's capable of playing the swing position. We've seen it time and time again. And when we've seen him in that striker role, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, you, I think you, you encapsulated it well. Um, um, by the way, I'm, echo- I'm echoing in your, okay, it's gone now. Okay. Um, the Henri thing, you, you, I mean, you, you kind of already mentioned it, but he was originally a striker to begin with. So all, all Wenger really did was just put him back to his original position. Um, having said that, he was never a pure striker, so he would be slotted next to or behind Bergkamp, or he would drift out to the left wing quite a bit, um, the way Mbappe plays. And... He was more of a shadow striker or or a, a person who could cut in from the left wing, um, and that famous goal he scored against Real Madrid that that year during the dark years was he picked up the ball from very deep and just ran through the entire team. So I think Henri's a weird, I guess, parallel to draw here because one Gareth Bale started his career as a, a wing back, whereas Thierry Henry actually started his career as a striker. Um, the I, I never thought about the point you just made about the heavy touch and stuff is whether that's a, a good trade for a center forward or not. It's it's an interesting point the way you put it. One of the things you you realize is that if you want a player to score more goals in in Bale's situation, you're actually going to get him to score more goals from a deeper position than from a striker position, and that's because in this situation where he's playing from deep, he can actually he can actually score more goals because he's more involved uh he can make runs from deep at the same time he's still playing high enough where he can latch onto through balls and his pace here's where to me this was this is where this is where you talk yourself into this first of all the stats speak for themselves he scored all of every time he's played as a striker um i think it's 11 appearances in liga he's only scored in one of those appearances it was against salta vigo um, the other 13 or 14 matches where he's played, 
uh, as a winger, all his goals come in those situations. Scoring one to two goals, he has the best scoring ratio on the team after Ronaldo. Um, and de facto, we all know that no one in the team scores more goals in uh, in this roster than, Chris, than Gareth Bale other than Cristiano Ronaldo. What he brings with his pace on the wing is that he can actually join the attack while defend and transition at the same time because he's so lightning quick. Um, there were a couple moments I pulled out and I wrote about them in my column where against Barca, he was dispossessing Jordi Alba deep, like near the corner flag almost in our own half. And then within 10 seconds, he was up the pitch as the highest player looking to play to to open for Modric as an outlet pass. So that that kind of running, that kind of work ethic, that kind of defensive understanding, the kind of pace to get back into the attack is huge for us. So I think, and again, you look at this game against Salta, he had plenty of touches on the ball. The other thing is you can play him as a center forward and it may work. Um, I think under Rafa, for example, we saw we saw limited appearances from him in almost like a shot of forward position. He looks good. He can play there. He has played there for Wales as well. In that situation, he's a bit more involved. But I think in the specific 4-4-2 that Zidane had deployed him in, Matt, that was extra problematic. Um, let's say, let's go back to, for example, the game against Espanyol. He played forward, didn't touch the ball, and when he did, he would actually drift to the left wing and cross it to God knows who, even though he's the only player on the pitch that can actually meet that cross and head the ball in. Because either that or you're crossing it into a sense marked by like four players. So I think there's, you actually probably could make it work and he could, he could excel in it. But to me, it's the same situation almost as Luka Modric, is that Luka Modric will look good if you play him as a right midfielder in a diamond. Um, because he's so good at doing so many things. But why put him in that situation where you can actually get the best out of him? So to me, it's just, it's less about reinventing and finding versatile players and stuff and more about making players excel in the right scheme to get the best out of the resources you have. Yeah, and I think uh, you mentioned that Espanol game. I think if you watch, replay that Espanol game, watch Gareth Bale in that game, and then compare it to this game, uh, that's a perfect answer as to why he's... He's more suited to the deeper midfield role. Yeah. But also because, like, we know he can score from a deep position, but he can also do so many things. And, like, if if there's a game where... I, I mean, the one way you could flip it, Matt, is you could say he... Is, as a striker, he may not do much and then pop up and 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 have a chance and score. I think also the reality is if you're more involved in the game, the less cold you are in front of goal. So when those... And this kind, like this, is kind of just also just by playing the game for a while, and you've played it at a very high level for a long time. You could you could pop up like once in ninety minutes with a big chance, and if you're not touching the the ball at all, and your confidence is low, and you're isolated, the chances of you scoring that goal um, are much less because you're cold and you're kind of you're not you're not getting the touches on the ball to kind of get integrated into the game. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, and I think. <clears throat> Even more so, I mean, on top of that, Gareth Bale's the type of player you want involved in the team's build-up play. I mean, he's he he can add so many different elements to the attack, be it his speed, be it his long-range passing, which, in my opinion, is underrated. Um, 
and he always picks a, a beautiful diagonal long ball. His crossing, uh, his just his drive, his ability to drive through the midfield on the dribble with speed, um, all of that. I mean, you you want this guy involved in your build-up play. You don't want you don't want him isolated. The, it will be interesting to see. Um, I mean, on one hand, we all we all look at this game and the kind of the narrative coming out of it is like, oh, great, Bale um, cemented his place for for Kiev. Um, I have no idea if that's true or not because Zidane is an, an impossible mind to comprehend, and we have no idea how to predict it. But um, this idea that uh, what was it that the wording that Sajid used? Um, something about how it will match up against Liverpool, and I can't find it now. But Liverpool have a couple really, really good, strong fullbacks in Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'd be very interested to know how that works, and especially with their right flank with Salah and Arnold on that side. I I, I think a, a player like Bale would be would be very useful in that situation just to keep them keep them honest because um, I I felt like we didn't have much of a left flank. Um, in the camp now against Sergio Roberto and Coutinho and Marcelo had a lot of difficulty dealing with it I think Marcelo is going to need a lot of help dealing with Salah and Robert and uh, and Alexander not that Marcelo can't burn both of them because of who he is but um, the coverage behind there whether it's Bale on the left or right they need to figure that out I think yeah no I agree um, Leon Savernakis says thoughts on the four one four one we saw versus Celta for the first time. I think I think Matt and I kind of already talked about that. Is it a viable long term formation? I have always felt the depth the depth of world class talent in the midfield separates Madrid from most clubs, and Zidane needs to find a way to get as many of them on the pitch with Cristiano as possible. I think we're all on the same page here. Do you have anything else you want to add about this formation? Uh, no, I mean I just think the critical thing is kind of making sure Cristiano's still involved because my only fear is if we if that four one four one if the lone striker is Cristiano, um, just making sure that he's not too isolated, that we do get the ball up to him, that he is involved in the attacking play, um, and he does feel comfortable because I mean, we've all heard him a million times say he's not a center forward, he's not a striker. Um and we we know it's not his favorite position, but if I think we're all kind of on the same page that this would you know, or this formation of a four two three one with Ronaldo again possibly as a, as a striker um, would would bring the best out of the team and get the personnel that we need on the field in their most comfortable positions. The Ronaldo center forward thing is 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 kind of this re- recurring debate because he doesn't want to play there, but we've all seen him play there, and he plays good when he plays there. Um, but the the caveat is that he plays good when he plays there only if the service is good. There's so um, there's another question which I'll I'll talk I'll take right now actually. Jahan Watson says the four two three one for the final. Ronaldo up top, Bale Benzisco behind, and Kroos and Modric running at the midfield. Thoughts? I love this formation. I would. Um, I would even be tempted to put to take off Benz and put Asensio in there, but it but I'm I'm more than fine with it being Benzema because I think Asensio is great off the bench, especially the second half. Um because kind of regardless of what you need, I think Asensio brings a really good dimension with his energy and his flair. I like it though. I I like that idea because when you pair 
Ronaldo up front, but you surround him with the right talent um, and the right people who can pull the strings. And in this situation, I think Bale, Benz, and Isco, I think would feed him plenty of the ball. I think he becomes, I, I think this question of the isolation, it becomes moot. I think, I think all three of those players would get him involved and they would feed him a bunch of chances. Yeah, I, I, th- I think so too. And I think, um, I mean, it would take for Cruz and Modric to be holding down that two defensive spots in the midfield. I think they would, in which they're capable of, but I think it would be really important for them to be as disciplined as possible. Um, and I mean, I, I love this for me. I, I love the personnel. I love the way it looks, but we just, we've very rarely seen it from Zidane. And I don't, I just do not see him not playing with um, Casemiro in the final. I just don't see it. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, who knows? We, honestly, you said it before. Nobody knows what Zidane's thinking for that final. Uh, and who knows? I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Lucas Vazquez and Asensio. And then at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Bale and Isco or Bale and Benzema, whatever it is. I mean, at this point, <laughs> there's no there's no way of knowing. We've called for the cross motor cell pivot uh, plenty on this podcast. Um, we don't have much sample size to back up whether it works or not. We, I think one of the only times Zidane has tried it was against Sociedad earlier this season and Real Madrid won that game 5-2 and controlled the game. You basically, you mask any and this notion for an anchor or a defensive midfielder by just controlling the ball, controlling the tempo and having two-way players around them who can help defensively like, like Isco, like Bale. Um, we've seen four-two-three-one with Kovacic instead of Kroos um, in the Calderon, and uh, that worked really well. So it doesn't have to be Kroos and Modric; it can be Kovacic. I like you. I would be so surprised if we don't see any anchor in this game, which means no Casemiro or Kovacic. Although Kovacic isn't really isn't really a pure anchor, but. To have neither of them would be crazy, and I think Zidane would probably be, probably have a bit of anxiety to pull the trigger on another Kovacic, Modric, Kroos pairing because against Bayern it looked very vulnerable and Kovacic overpressed and the team wasn't cohesive with their press and they got burned alive vertically. So if you're going to play all three of them, you can't do it in that scheme where everyone is spread thin and, and everything breaks down. You need to have proper coverage for everybody. You can't have, you can't really, you can't really do it as a diamond. is is the is the biggest thing for me. Whereas against Bayern it was Asensio. Uh, in previous editions, it's been Casemiro and Isco instead of Kovacic and Asensio. The diamond, I think, leaves us so vulnerable defensively. But I think any other formation, um, it it solidifies our structure a little bit. So if you're going to have Kovacic in there over Casemiro don't do it as a diamond for the love of God but like you I, I just can't it's hard for me to envision that either way I think we are possibly Matt and this is very bold of me to predict what Zidane's going to do <clears throat> I think we are possibly possibly uh, playing ourselves slowly into the 4-3-3 with the BBC and Casemiro Modric Kroos um, like the good old days quote unquote <clears throat> Really, I'm I'm actually uh, kind of. I think we might go with the four one four one. I okay. think. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning that way. Okay, I'm 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 with it. Let's let's. Yeah, we'll either say. one is fine as long as yeah. it's not the diamond. I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Chris G says, Zidane can't possibly leave an informed beast bail on the bench in the final, right? Uh, who knows, Chris G? Because <laughs> we don't know. Saad Omar says, Gareth is absolutely world-class. Whoever thinks otherwise should watch what we just witnessed with that second goal. Magnificent. Do you guys think he will start against Liverpool in the Champions League final? So as you guys can see, this is a recurring theme. And I don't know if... There's only so many ways we can answer the same question. So I don't know how much time we'll spend on these. But uh, Sad also says, I also read Keon's article on 442 about Gareth being better when he's deployed deeper in the right flank. And I agree. Do you think given that Zizou has Gareth Bale figured out, he's going to trust him with the big game? Well, I do think uh, it's interesting to know because we all thought heading into this game when we saw the lineup come out that it was going to be a four uh, a four four two diamond with Bale and Benzema up top. Yeah. But that wasn't the case, and Bale was out wide. So um, I think that kind of that hopefully that is evidence to prove that Zidane is now resigned to the fact that Bale is not a striker, and he realizes, okay, I'm getting so much more out of this guy in a deeper role. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's one encouraging point we can take from that. Um, there are only there are only um, so many articles Zidane can read from Om and myself <laughs> about Bale's position until he's had enough. I think uh, so. Uh, I think we've drove him nuts enough that he just wants an end to our articles. <laughs> Essa Hariri says, "Can you please explain the issue with Bale? I, I, do we have any non-Bale questions? Uh, this is crazy." Uh, is it just psychological that he can't perform unless he is the main star of the team? He is a ghost usually when Ronaldo is present. Or is it because we know someone is coming this summer, Neymar or Salah or Kane or whatever, uh, so he's stepping up? Um, my feeling on this, Matt, is that I think it's less to do with this summer and what comes next year and more to do with him just wanting to make sure that he's a starter in the final. Like, I I think he's, to, to me, I think he's finally realized, like, I'm Gareth Bale. I need to. I need to. I can't be shy on the pitch. And there's a sharp contrast to the way he was playing. Uh, let's say go back to Valencia or Levante earlier this season, where there were moments where, like from 30 yards, no one was marking him, and he had a clear sight on goal. And he, you can kind of tell the way he hesitated. That it was on the back of his mind to crack it like he would when he was like with Tottenham or something. And he didn't. He just uh he just pulled it back nonchalantly and and passed it back. And I think those are the things you start now you see against Barca or 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 Salta. And we've seen a few times over the course of the season, but not um I think I think we've seen his confidence grow and grow in the last last little bit. Yeah, and uh I mean, Bale, well, I mean, I think he understood it because he was injured, just coming back from injury last year. But he experienced the Champions League final from the bench. And it, be, it was his hometown. So even more so, he wanted to play that final yeah. um, and play an important role. And I think in his head, he's he does not want to be on the bench again. He, I mean, yeah. when you're a player of that stature, of that level, like Gareth Bale, like a James Rodriguez, like a Cristiano Ronaldo, all these guys, I mean, and even if Gareth is more of a quiet kind of humble guy, he's still, and you know, you can see it from time to time, he still has a major ego. And it's a good thing. Like he, that's what kind of separates some of these guys. And he, he's now starting to really play with that confidence that you talked about. 
And I mean, he he has the ego. He doesn't want to be on the bench for a Champions League final. He he feels he's way too good to be on the bench for a Champions League final. He he probably thinks this is ridiculous, and he's doing everything he can to prove that he's one of the best players on this team. So, I also would say that it's not so much that he needs to be the main star on the team because we've seen him thrive alongside Ronaldo plenty. Um, some of the most iconic goals in our mind as Madridistas in the modern era, whether it be his assist to you know feeding Ronaldo in the Calderon last season was it, and or the counterattack goal against Bayern Munich in Munich against Pep. There's no question to me that he can thrive alongside a Ronaldo type figure. It's just it's just a matter that he needs to be he needs to be one healthy which in turn gives him confidence. So we know he needs those two checked off the box. And he needs, he needs to be in the right position. He needs continuity and he needs rhythm. And, you know, if you check all those boxes, he's a top five player in the world to me. Um, Sheikh Atiri says, Bale is back. <laughs> Mayoral has been having some pretty good performances recently. Do you think he could be a long-term replacement for Benzema, given that he is as much an in-the-box playmaker as much as a finisher like Benzema? Um... So we know that, and this is the end of Shay's question, Benzema is Mayoral's idol. Um, he's spoken about this. I like, I like how Mayoral can do a lot more than you know, be a pure nine. And with Castilla, he was very much the deeper player out of him and Mariano. The, the rare moments they played together anyway, it was usually one or the other. But Mayoral, to me, was always the one who could drop deep and do more. I'm skeptical, Matt, whether Mayoral stays with the club, uh, if I'm being quite honest. The vibe that him and Zidane give is that he's probably going to move on the way Mariano did in search of more playing time. I could be wrong. I don't know. I definitely don't think he's he's like on a Benzema level where he can just replace Benzema long term. Yeah, and I, I still haven't figured out. I know Gabe was um, on the last podcast talking how he felt... Mayoral was probably a mid-level La Liga team, um, somewhere around there um, when it's all said and done. And I, I still haven't figured out where I kind of see him fitting and where I see his true potential. Uh, and that, I mean, in fairness to him, it's because he's had such limited minutes. And in some of the game, I mean, in his limited minutes, he's been pretty productive. Um, and he even had a, a, a very unselfish assist in this game. And in the prior game against Sevilla, he was he came on and off the bench and looked very lively, um, wanted to make an impact, wanted to make a difference, nabbed a goal. Um, so, but then there's other games where he's just and he'll he'll start the game and he he has a very um, limited impact. His influence is is very very limited, and it's 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 so it's hard to judge him. I think, like you said, he's talked. Uh, he's kind of revealed in some of his post-match comments a couple times saying probably the best thing for him is to move on and get relevant minutes at his age. Um, but I, I really don't think any of us are going to know what Mayoral is truly capable of until he gets those relevant minutes. I think he needs a couple seasons where he's just playing week in and week out. And hopefully if we sell him, we include a buyback clause and, um, I hope to see him do well and maybe eventually return. Maybe one day he can 
um, turned into that player we all saw it during his uh, youth days with Castilla. But for now, I, I still I don't know how to judge him yet. I still I still not really not determined anything. Blake Brown says, I think this was by far Bale's best game this year and maybe the last two years. Uh, that might be a stretch. Uh, but yeah, I, that might be a stretch, but it was good. Uh, he looked fantastic, Blake says. Perfect passing and clinical on the finishing. Tactically, what is the benefit for switching him or any of our wingers from left to right or right to left during the game? Bale switched a few times this game. Does this just give the opposition something else to think about? Or does Zidane see an opening on the other side during the game? It didn't seem to be a clear advantage to switching in this game. Um, this is something that if you notice back to the Benitez era, Benitez did it actually much more like almost on the clock. You'd notice like every 15 minutes, so minute 15, 30, and then 60 you would notice that the the wingers would swap flanks <clears throat> and they would stay on that flank for 15 minutes and then switch back to their original flank. And um, Zidane does less, less um, I guess, obvious. It's it's more of like an in-game feel, I think. It's it's less about rules and kind of it's more flexible the way he does it. But to me, it's just a matter of keeping defenders guessing. When there's a lot of off-ball movement happening and there's a strategic way of of kind of channeling your offense and, and swapping flanks and giving defenders more things to guess about. To me, that's basically what it is. So if on one sequence you can have Bale on the left plowing forward and putting in a cross, and on the next sequence he's on the right cutting in and shooting, that can be problematic to deal with if you're a defensive line. Yeah, and I think, it, it like you mentioned, it depends on the coach because I've had coaches on the past who... Um, before before the game, they tell they tell our wingers like p- switch, switch as often as you can, but make sure it's natural, make sure it flows. Mm. Um, and I mean that's kind of what we saw, and it does it does keep the opposition's fullback guessing. And, uh, because once you think you have someone figured out, then you have a new attacker um, coming at you, and this guy plays a completely different way, especially when it's Isco and Bale. Um, so it is. I I think it's an important element to add to our attack and it, it is a uh, it is it's good because Bale is he brings different he can bring different um tools to each each side of the pitch um be it when he's more comfortable on the left he can drill in a brilliant in-swinging ca- cross and then when he's on the right like you said he can cut in and rip one of those shots like he did um so it's a it's a good thing to have and i, I hope we see a little bit more of it actually the next two, the next two uh, comments, they're not really questions, they're more just feedback about the show. We're going to read them through from our patrons. So Mark Rady says, and this all ties in, so if, if you're not a patron, you, you, you didn't get a chance to listen to the Wednesday show. This topic came up about kind of who we are as podcast hosts and th- the emphasis of wanting to be ourself and, um, and just kind of uploading the conversation on air without being too strict and that's how we feel, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Matt. Probably Owen feels the same way. Gabe certainly does. That the reason why this podcast has succeeded is that we there's it's not really too strict. It's not too serious. It's it's more of just a conversation like you would have with your boys uh, or friends or whoever at a pub, at a bar, at a coffee shop, at home, in the basement, uh, on the couch. 
and you kind of just upload it online. You know, there's no really strict rules or like anyone telling you how to behave. This is just kind of us. This is who we are. This is this is who we are behind the scenes, and this is who we are. You know, on the mic. So. Uh, this this conversation came up, and the, hence why these two comments came in. Mark Brady says, "I love that you're asking people to send their negative feedback to Om. Is that punishment for not being on the pod, or is it or is Om the keyboard warrior champion that manager Madrid? Just wanted to say, please don't tone down or get serious. There are so many lame La Liga podcasts. Uh, you said it, Mark, not us." Uh, that are too serious and too boring. It's stressful enough following a team, so it's nice to have laughs about it with people who feel the same. Also, shout out to D-Spot, who makes me respect Barca fans. Good to know not all of them are messy F-boys. Uh, hopefully that means fanboys. Hala Madrid. Leo Wild Shadid says, Buenos dias, Madridistas. Just finished listening to the latest patron-only podcast, and I heard you venting. Uh, about those who criticize the casual nature of your conversations and want a more censored version. Because I'm a fan of the podcast, I thought I'd offer some support your way. The main attractive feature of podcasts is the fact that they're often more casual, off-the-cuff, candid, and insignificantly edited. This is true. I don't think I've ever had to edit a podcast. Uh, don't change that. You said something to the effect that you enjoy being yourselves in the podcast. Keep it up. Hala Madrid. Leo, thank you for the comments, Mark, and Leo, appreciate it. Um, back to football. Mansawi Mishra, Mishra says, question, who would you sign for right back backup? And who do you loan from the present team and where? I understand that sending up players usually does not turn up really well for them in terms of development. So would you prefer players going for long terms and where? So just to, uh, uh, just to clarify, this question came in before the game against Celta. So sometime, I think, after the Sevilla game and before this, uh, and after, sorry, Sometime, yeah, sometime after the Sevilla game, before the Celta game. So we didn't have the context of Ashraf's performance. And uh, maybe this is a good time, actually, to talk about Ashraf before we take this question, Matt. Um, what were your notes on him? What were your thoughts about him in this game? So, yeah, like I, like I mentioned before, um, I thought offensively he was superb. Um, I think he combined really well with Modric and Cruz. Um he had some really nice one twos that Modric was and both Modric and both Cruz sliced through balls past the back line. Um, Ashraf just ghosted past Johnny, made his way into the into the final third. And one thing that's still a little bit lacking is that final decision um, with his crossing and even just um, a pa- a pass across goal. He's still kind of rushing that. Uh, I think that will come with time, just a little bit more composure and a cool head, and he'll find that final pass. But um, defensively, I mean, he didn't have too much work to do, especially in the second half. But in the first half, when Boye, as we mentioned, just not tracking back at all. Um, And Boye's a technical, quick player, uh, loves to go 1v1, and I thought Ashraf a little bit struggled there. But for the most part, I mean, we kept the clean sheet. He did his job. He got a goal. Um, looked really, really good. This performance, along with the Sevilla performance earlier in the year, I mean, those two things are, two performances are encouraging. And I think that's what, I mean, we don't want to get, just like we don't want to over-hype, over, um, over-hype his good performances and down and really downplay his bad performances. I mean, there's got to be a balance. So, um, But this definitely was encouraging. And um, um, I'm hoping he can use this as a confidence builder and grow take it into the World Cup, and then we'll, we'll, Madrid will likely evaluate from there. 
It's amazing. Yeah, I actually... You almost have to remind yourself that he's going to be in the World Cup. Like, that's going to be really fun for us to watch and tune into to see how he does. Um, it's just one extra player to track. And, you know, it's just going to be a lot of fun having him there. Uh, and from what we know, you know, not like I can say I'm a, I'm a religious watcher of the Moroccan national team, but we've seen extended highlights of him playing on the left at the left back position and playing really well. So <clears throat> that'll be something really fun to look forward to. This was, to me, unless I'm missing something, I think this was his best performance of the season, was it not? Like, he played, he was yeah, good against definitely. Sevilla. Um, against Tottenham, he was criticized heavily. I wrote, a, I think I wrote a column about him shortly after that, but also taking into consideration some of his other performances. One was against Girona, the two legs against Tottenham, uh, a couple others, where I... I realized that actually, amid all the slander of him offensively, he looked to have zero confidence beating his man on the dribble, um, where he could do that with Castilla. And he also just couldn't get anything accurate in terms of his crossing. One thing that surprised me, and perhaps everyone, even those who watched him at Castilla, was how good he was defensively this season. Um, His IQ without the ball has been very good. Uh, and I've written about this. And even in moments where he has brain farts or lapses, he can get into position in record time and to kind of make up for some of his shortcomings, which will come with experience, I think. Whereas Danilo sometimes would put himself in those situations and, and just couldn't recover, whereas Ashraf can. I'm not saying Ashraf by any means has been otherworldly or anything. He's insanely raw. But I will say this, out of the two wingbacks between him and Teo I fully expected Teo to be the one who would be the one we'd be raving about um, and I'm not saying we're raving about Ashraf by any means but of the two I think Ashraf has shown us more which has surprised me because um, I wouldn't have expected it if you told me that before before the season started I would also say what was cool about this game he was actually more involved than Marcelo was and typically Everything the fullbacks do with Real Madrid, they're so involved generally. It's between them and the central midfielders. And Atref was right there with like Modric and Kroos. Um, he had the same amount of touches as Modric and only four less than Kroos, who had 100, who was, which was the most on anyone in the field. Four completed dribbles. So to me, like some of those things where um, before he didn't have confidence beating his man, he showed that a bit in this game. And some of his touches to get himself into open water were were really good, even though they weren't like technically brilliant. He just if he gets into space, he's he's hard to stop. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good point you made about um, Teo and the perspective. If we look back to preseason or before the season, just said that by the hey by the end of the year, Ashraf's going to be looking actually the better of the two over the course of the whole season. I think we all would have been really surprised, but sadly, I think, I mean, you, I, sadly, I think that says more about Teo's performances than it does about Ashraf. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, but with that, and all, with all that being said, I also think the key to his great performance we mentioned was also Celta's high line. Like, he just yeah. he used them with that. And I, yeah. I think when fans, in the games he struggled... And where fans get frustrated is against teams that have are more of a low block and sit deep, and we kind of have a slow build-up play, 
and will knock the ball out right to him, and he just knocks it right back, or he tries to take on his man 1v1 and loses it, or dinks in across that really is to no one. Like, that's when fans get frustrated. And I think today we saw what he can do, or not today, but yesterday, we saw what he can do against the high line. Um, we saw how lethal his speed is, and, I mean, his best performances are going to be against teams that play like that. Yeah, I think... I hope the crossing and stuff will come. Um, him and Teo both are, are ones that... They're two players that are still raw in that sense. And uh, I brought up this particular example before, especially earlier this season where it was like the Jordi Alba show. Um, and he, Alba cooled off a little bit. He wasn't as... But he was still, he's still been good in, in this second half of the season, but not as good as the first half. He would put some beautiful, as much as it pains me to say, uh, to say anything good about this human being. <laughs> some of his cutbacks and crosses were were bang on and brilliant, and they were perfectly weighted. And he knew exactly where there was those balls were supposed to go. Whereas with Atraf and Teo, I still feel um, when they're in a position, a good position to cross, they have space, they have outlets to pick. They're not sure whether they need to cut back. Or do a far post cross, or a or a weighted cross near post that requires a flick. They just kind of hit it, and uh, that's something that I suppose it's hard to teach because one, you can teach it as much as you want on the training ground, um, but in game situations, your mental focus isn't as sharp, and there's more pressure, and you have to think quicker. And if it, they were just able to kind of look up and and be able to make a better decision with the ball in those situations i think i think they'll i hope it'll come again both of these players have the tools to to make it so i don't know how worried we are but i think that is something that they need to improve on yeah and your example of jordi alba makes me think i mean teo has all the tools to be a similar fullback to jordi alba and i mean more so than marcelo i mean marcelo we know is an anomaly but, I mean, they have similar tools, and Teo even more so has better physical tools. So, um, yeah, if he can just kind of hash out some of these these issues he's had this season, hopefully we will see. I, I mean, I still really believe in Teo. I mean, we all saw what he was capable of last year at Alaves. I think it's a big confidence issue more than anything. So um, I think he'll come around. Um, last question is from Saad Omar. He says, Do you see Vallejo as a long-term solution in, in the center-back position? I thought he would have had enough time to adapt. But so far with the games he's been given, I don't think he's distinguishing himself or showing the quality expected from him when he was at Frankfurt or Zaragoza. I believe we need more depth at the center-back position. Do you agree? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, for me... The reason why we may need more depth at the center back position is more because of injuries and suspensions. Um, I, I, I want to like. I feel like if we're really going to invest in these younger players, we got to give them a bigger role um, this next season, and that includes Vallejo. And for him, it's staying injury free, though. That's that's his main issue. Yeah. Um, if he can get a good run of games together, then I think we'll really see 
what Vallejo is made of and whether he is a long-term solution. But right now, I don't think we've had enough of a sample size to really judge that. And he hasn't had enough consi- – like, if you give him a string of, like, five, six games in a row, um, and then and then we can kind of accurately make that assessment. But right now, I don't think – and it, it's been mostly because of injury. He hasn't been able to put his stamp on the team just yet. Yeah, and so, so sad. I think you probably have listened to the patron podcast because you are a patron, which I think was the, the Sevilla postgame, I believe. Um, where Gabe and I, and wasn't for the first time, we've talked extensively about the leash we need to have for these younger players who don't play at all throughout the season. And when they come in, they're cold. And, and a lot of the things that we see that we criticize them on, they need to be taken into context holistically and not just based on a single play. Um, and uh, we kind of dissected why really Vallejo wasn't the main culprit on a lot of those sequences that went wrong in Sevilla. In Sevilla. Um, having said that, um, has he been on the Frankfurt level and Zaragoza level? Well, Zaragoza, we kind of just chalk up and, uh, and look at, look at it as a huge developmental stone stone because they were in Segunda. They weren't even La Liga. So we, we look at the Zaragoza stint as an encouraging stint for him where he captained the team. So we also showed maturity. Frankfurt, he was fantastic throughout the entire season. Um, and this season, I think he's been fine. Um, I don't think he's been otherworldly good. I think there was one or two performances. I can't remember off the top of my head which I thought he was actually really good. Um, but he needs, to your point, he needs to play. And um, he needs to... It, like, if there's a case to be made that we more need more depth in center back, it's not because of quality issues. To me, it's because of who are your four center backs. Varane, injured quite often. Vallejo, injured quite often. Ramos, suspended quite often. Then that leaves you with Nacho, who's, who is trying to cover for four positions. So that's the case if you need a fifth center back. And we, I remember us talking about this at the beginning of the season. What do we do with Diego Llorente? We ended up selling them. And you, either way, if we had have kept him or sold him, I would have been okay with it. I would have been okay if we sold him. I was like, because maybe he just won't play and that would be a waste of his talent. I would have been okay if we kept him because of those reasons. I'd be like, well, you know, we're spread thin. The four available aren't really the most available center backs. So maybe we do need a fifth one. And if Diego Llorente has been, been pretty good, I think that's what I see that. So um, I don't, if we're talking about pure quality, like in terms of quality, I think Vallejo is actually a generational talent. And I think if you, if you are able to bide your time with him and get him into a rhythm and get him healthy... There's no question to me that he's a future starter in this team because he has all the tools. He's shown us a bunch of maturity. He's an elite distributor out of the back. Uh, tremendous positional ability. And I don't think you can use that Seville game as an example to grade where his positional sense is. He's, he's very good at it. Um, versatile enough to play in a three-man back line. And actually has tools to kind of play as this as like a hybrid DM, uh, like a better version of what Pepe did against Barcelona years ago. So I'm not worried about his talent. I'm worried about his health a bit, and I'm worried about how much he can play moving forward. Yeah, and if you uh, look back at some of the comments that the soon, soon-to-be-the-new Bayern Munich manager, Nico Kovac, who's currently Eintracht Frankfurt's coach, yeah. was the manager when Vallejo was there. I mean, the way he talked about Vallejo, like he, 
he loved him. He he just gloated about him. Thought he was going to be. I mean, believed he was one of the, and he was one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga, and and that's no joke. And I mean, this was when the kid had a really good run of games. Um, all other players, um, I think it was Marco Fabian, talked about this, talked about him in the same manner. And I mean, he really, really made an impression there. And I know you watched a lot of him while he was there. I mean, he looked great. And so, I mean, that doesn't go out the window. I, like we said, these guys need a run of games, and he need most importantly, he needs to stay fit. Um, that's a major concern, but um, we'll see. I think next year is going to be a big year for Vallejo. Here's the quote, by the way, because um, while you were while you were mentioning, I I just quickly brought, pulled it up because I remember that quote and I, I liked it a lot. So uh, Kovac said, uh, he said, "I've never seen a player like Vallejo as a player or as a coach. The kid is scandin- scandalously good." Um, and then uh, the goalkeeper Lucas uh, Herdecki said uh, he is our best player, like full stop. Um, those are really high words and like high praise for a kid uh, who was playing in one of the best leagues in the world. Like the Bundesliga is not an easy place to play in. Um, and we watched him. We had the eye test like almost every game we watched him. I think he was fantastic. And none of that just disappears um, especially he's not like 45, he's he's in his early 20s. So he has a lot of time. He's still exciting. And to me, there's like a no-brainer. He's part of this team moving forward. So um, whether you need to add depth, I think that's, it's an interesting question that I don't really have an answer for. It really depends on if, who's healthy and who's not. Um, this brings us to an end, Matt Wiltsey. Do you have anything to plug or anything you want to mention before we let you go? Uh no, not at the top of my head, not right now. Okay, you wanna you wanna listen to some patron shoutouts? Sure, let's do it. Um, as you all know by now, make sure you become a patron if you want to get a chance to win the Gareth Bale uh, signed jersey. Uh, and shout out to all you unbelievable patrons. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much for buying into the show and supporting us. Um, you guys are all incredible. Quick shout out to all of our $10 plus patrons because one of your rewards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a shout out on the podcast. So, shout out to Nick DeStefani, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Rivero, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo, Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Raul Gutierrez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obeid, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jeremiah Rogers, Anthony Vasquez, Daniel Smith. You guys are all incredible. Thank you so much. The list gets longer and longer every week, and you guys mean the world to us. Thank you so much uh, to you guys. Thank you to Matt Wilty who, who joined me, and Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius.
One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hi, it's Jamie. Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.